So here's a question to get us started this morning. Uh, how often do you think about the power of art? How often do you think about the power of, of creative expression? Now, my guess, and it's just a guess, that's not high on your to-do list, yeah? Uh, just, uh, it's not high on mine either. In fact, uh, just full disclosure, I slept through about 90% of my art history class in college. And as I was thinking about that this week, I realized that was a really expensive nap. Uh, sorry, mom and dad. Uh, anyway, I digress. The reason why I bring those questions up, though, is because a friend sent me a video a, a couple weeks ago, and, and I haven't stopped thinking about that question, the, the, the how often I think about the power of art. It's a video of Ethan Hawke, Hollywood actor Ethan Hawke. And back in 2020, he did a TED Talk where uh, essentially he promotes this idea that, that art, that creative expression is powerful. And he says it's, it's powerful because, because art and creative expression, it, it brings healing in our lives. It, it helps us to connect to each other. He says it, it helps us to kind of make sense of the world that we live in. Here's a short clip from that TED Talk I wanted to watch. So you have to ask yourself, do you think human creativity matters? Well, hmm, most people don't spend a lot of time thinking about poetry, right? They have a life to live, and they're not really that concerned with Allen Ginsberg's poems or anybody's poems until their father dies. They go to a funeral. You lose a child. Um, somebody breaks your heart. They don't love you anymore. And all of a sudden, you're desperate for making sense out of this life. And has anybody ever felt this bad? Before, How did they come out of this cloud? Or the inverse, something great. Um, you meet somebody and your heart explodes. You love them so much you can't even see straight. You know, you're dizzy. Did anybody feel like this before? What is happening to me? And that's when art's not a luxury. It's actually sustenance. We need it. Okay, well... It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, in just a few seconds, a minute or so, we, we kind of see his point, that there really is a power that, that art and creative expression has in our lives. It, it helps us get through the low moments. It helps us celebrate the high. It helps us make sense of life in between. See, art and creative expression, it puts words and ideas and, and images to, to our thoughts and our feelings. And I think that's why that, that clip, it resonates so much with me, particularly there at the end when, when he says that art isn't a luxury, it's a necessity, it's sustenance, we need it. See, when I saw this clip and when I heard that quote, I thought this is the perfect opportunity to say that this is exactly what the Psalms and the Bible are. This is exactly what, what we have in the, the Psalms, not a luxury, not just words on a page, no, it's a necessity, Songs and poems and prayers that for thousands of years have been sustenance for the church, for the people of God, a source of strength, a, a source of nourishment, something that, that we as the people of God, we need. And of course, we need the Psalms because they, they help us express what we're thinking and what we're feeling, but, but we also need the Psalms because of, so they do so much more. That when we read them and, and think about them and meditate on them and reflect on them and sing them, they're actually shaping us, forming us. By, by appealing to our imaginations, they shape us. They shape how we think, what we think about, what we feel, what, how we live in the world. They help us to respond faithfully. 
You see, when we think about it, there really is a power that the Psalms, as, as the creative word of God, because that's what the Psalms are, the, the creative word of God, there really is a power that they have in our lives to, to bring healing, to bring connection to each other and to God in a deeper and more meaningful way. It's sustenance for us. And I think if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, that's exactly what, what our psalm will do for us this morning. Psalm 63. It invites us to put ourselves in the shoes of the author. And as we do, it's going to draw us, I think, into a deeper connection with God. Let's read Psalm 63, verse 1. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Now, I said that, that when we read the Psalms, we've got to, often we have to use our imagination. So I want you to do this with me for a second. I want you to imagine that you're the king of a country. But not just any king, you are the rightful king of the people of God. God himself has told you that your throne, your kingdom, it would endure forever because of him. But in a strange twist of events, you find yourself on the run. You're running from an enemy, and that enemy is your own son, who has risen up rebellion and is attempting to take your throne, take your kingdom, take your life. You've traded the peace and comfort of, of your palace for the stress and anxiety of fleeing in the wilderness. Now, if that's you, what, what questions are going on in your mind? What are you thinking about? How are you, if you're on the run from your son in the wilderness, how are you feeling? What are you holding on to? What's giving you hope? What's giving you strength? See, in many ways, those questions are in the background of this psalm because that's the exact context in which it was written. David, King David is on the run, fleeing his palace. He's in the Judean wilderness. He's fleeing because his son Absalom is, Absalom is attempting to take his kingdom, take his throne. And so he's traded the, the peace of the palace there in Jerusalem, and he's out in the Judean wilderness. Now, we live, most of us anyway, live in Missouri. And so I bet that when we hear wilderness, we, we tend to think trees, woods, forests, that kind of thing. But that's not the kind of wilderness that David was in. No, he was, he was here in this wilderness. This is actually a, uh, in Israel. It's a place that I got to visit a few years ago. My wife took that photo and you can see that it's a, it's a rocky, deserty kind of place. And the reason why I'm showing us this is because it, it helps make sense of what David says there at the end of verse 1, when, when after he said, I'm seeking you, I thirst you, I'm longing for you, where? He says, in a dry and parched land where there is no water. See, David is fleeing, and he's in this wilderness. He's in this deserty, rocky place where there is no water. Only mirages, only heat rising off the hot sand, only delusions posing as the real thing. And as David finds himself in this dry and parched land, he says, I'm thirsty. Thirsty for what? Well, he says, I thirst for you, God. You see, David is in a literal dry and parched land. As we read this psalm, though, we've got to contextualize it for ourselves. We, we don't literally, literally live in a dry, well, actually the last few days feels like a dry and parched land, but we don't literally live in a dry and parched land. We, we, we metaphorically do. Metaphorically, we too find ourselves in a dry and parched land, a, a culture in which people are increasingly chasing delusions, chasing mirages of the good life, chasing things that can't possibly give them what they want. We're thirsty people. 
in a thirsty culture. If anyone knows that, it's the Coca-Cola company who back in a while ago, back in 1994, had to rebrand one of their drinks, Sprite. Up until 1994, Sprite had largely been branded around the jingle, I like the Sprite in you, but that just wasn't cutting it anymore. Sales had declined, uh, particularly amongst the target audience, target market, and so Sprite needed to be rebranded. Coke wanted something hip, something fresh, something that would appeal to an up-and-coming generation. And so out of that realization, this new marketing campaign was born, Obey Your Thirst. Obey your thirst. Now, in many ways, it was a genius shift, right? It it, it was like this new campaign built around the the growing virtues of an evolving culture, self-expression, individuality, personality. Sprite was on to something. They they were telling us, if, if you thirst for something, go get it. If you desire something, go get it. If you want something, go get it. Thirst is everything. Obey your thirst. And as is often the case, Coke wasn't just selling a product, it was selling an idea. Then that idea is that we're thirsty. Thirsty for what? Well, obviously in their case, hopefully a Sprite, but also so much more. See, they said as much when they, back in 2019, changed their slogan again to thirst for yours. We're thirsty, thirst for yours. What's the yours? Well, this is what they said in a press release. The yours and thirst for yours is intentionally open-ended. We want the community to interpret and define it in their own unique way. We want the community, you and me, to interpret the yours in, in our own unique way. In other words, it doesn't matter what yours is. It doesn't matter what mine is. Thirst for yours doesn't matter. That's not the point. The point isn't what is the yours. The point is that we're thirsty. We're thirsty people in a thirsty culture being told by Coke to thirst for whatever we want because that's what's gonna satisfy us. Now, that's not really a new idea, is it? I mean, that's not like, yeah, it's not a new idea. I mean, in many ways, it's just another iteration of of many of the popular cultural anthems in our day. Anthems like, follow your heart, you do you, speak your truth, you're the main character in your story, be true to yourself. Sprite would just add thirst for yours. These these popular anthems that, that we have in our culture Pop icon Billie Eilish, she summarizes all of those well in Vogue magazine when she said this. She says, my thing is that I can do whatever I want. It's all about what makes you feel good. My thing is that I can do whatever I want. It's all about what makes you feel good. Now, I think if she were here, to be fair, she would say as long as it doesn't hurt someone. But you see what she's saying, right? My thing is that I can do whatever I want. It's all about what makes you feel good. In other words, just be true. I'm just being me. I'm just being true to myself. Here's the interesting thing about being true to ourselves. I, I hear that all the time. I, I, you know, I'm tempted to believe that. Just be true to yourself. Uh, and, and recently I came across this in a book. You know where that idea comes from? I didn't know it. Uh, but, but that idea, just be true to yourself, it comes from Shakespeare's play Hamlet. And here's the, the line in the play. This above all to thine own self be true. This above all, just be true to yourself. Now, here's the really interesting thing. You know who said that? I didn't. You know who said it? His name was Polonius. And if you know anything about Hamlet, Polonius is cast as the fool. Polonius is the fool in Shakespeare's Hamlet. 
And so think about that for a second. The fool's words, this above all, to thine own self be true. This above all, just be true to yourself. The fool's words have become water in a thirsty culture. Just be true to yourself. Do whatever you want, whenever you want, however long you want, as long as it doesn't hurt anyone. That's the good life. That's the path to the good life. Or so we think. Because here's the thing that people don't often say when they say, just be true to yourself. What they don't often say is that living like that is just going to make you thirstier. Just being true to yourself is just going to make you thirstier. Why? Well, there's a lot of things that we could say here, but, but John Mark Comer in his book, Live No Lies, says it better, and so I'm just gonna read what he says. He says this, he says, when self is the new God, the new spiritual reality, the new morality, in other words, when I'm the most important thing in my life, when I'm the main character of my story, when I'm just living through the lens of just being true to myself, it puts a crushing weight on the self, one that it was never designed to bear. It must discover itself, become itself, stay true to itself, justify itself, make itself happy, perform and defend its fragile identity. Here's a little flex. As my Peloton instructor would say, Validate your greatness. But what about the many days when we're not all that great? The pressure's exhausting. Cue stats on burnout, anxiety, and mental health. The pressure's exhausting. I, I don't know about you, but when I, when I came across that in, in his book, I just immediately connected with it because, because that's exactly how I feel a lot. A lot of the times, that's exactly how I, when I'm living through that lens of just being me, just, just being true to myself, when, when I've got to justify myself and become myself and defend myself, you know, I've got this constant pressure to be somebody. I walk around with this constant pressure to, to I, I've got to do my job with a really high level of excellence. I, I've got this constant pressure to keep up with what other people have, what other people want, what other people are doing. I've got, to keep, I've got this pressure to keep up with other people's expectations of me. And that pressure is exhausting. But here's the thing, that pressure, it doesn't come from other people. It comes from in here. Meaning I, I, I put that pressure on myself because I think having those things, doing those things, I think that's what's gonna make me happy. And so I think that, that I'm going to be happy if I'm a big deal. I'm going to be happy if I can do my job really well and people see that and say that to me. I'll be happy if other people want what I want, other people want what I have, other people do what I do. I'll be happy if people think highly of me. I'll be happy if people respect me. Then I'll find, if I get those things, then I'll finally be happy. But you know, if, if, if I'm just able to step back from that and see that with clear eyes, and be honest with myself and with you, you know what that stuff is in my life? It's just a mirage. It's just a delusion. It looks like water. It looks like the life that I've always wanted. It looks like happiness. It looks like satisfaction. It looks like contentment. It looks like comfort, but it's just a delusion. It's just a mirage. And yet I chase, and I chase, and I chase, and I chase. Maybe you can relate. And if you can, I just wanna ask, what is it that you're chasing? What is that mirage that you're chasing in your life? What, what is it for you? It's all around us, isn't it? I mean, it's easy to fall into. We live in a culture where we're constantly chasing things that we think are gonna make us happy that, that won't. We're, we're in a culture where sometimes ourselves we're looking for what we can only find in Jesus in every other place. 
And as John Mark Comer says, it's making us increasingly exhausted. It's making us increasingly disconnected. It's making us increasingly lonely and burnt out and depressed and stressed. See, spending our time and energy chasing mirages, it's just going to make us thirstier. Psalm 63, it reminds us that the only thing that can quench our thirst is God. The only thing that can quench our thirst is God. It's why David writes this. We're going to read the first eight verses of this psalm. He says this. He says, you, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Look, he's saying, you are my God. You're not, he, he's in a dry and parched land. You're my God. Sometimes we're in a dry and parched land and we feel like God is distant, disconnected. He says, no, you're my God. In this dry and parched land, you're my God. You're here, you're near. You're not dis- distant, you're not disconnected. You're infinitely present everywhere, but you're infinitely present with me right now. You're intimate, you're close, you're my God. It's you I seek, I thirst, I long for. It's you. It's always been you. I, I sometimes don't know it's you. I sometimes don't believe it's you. I'm tempted, I'm tricked into thinking it's other things, but it's you that I want. It's you that I long for. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. I'll praise you as long as I live and in your name, I'll lift up my hands because of who you are, God. I will praise you. I will glorify you with my lips. I'll raise my hands and worship you. I'll be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods, with singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I'll remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. God, no one satisfies. He's saying no one satisfies like you, God. Like the richest of foods, like the best of banquets, no one satisfies like God. I constantly am thinking about that. I can't, wherever I go, I'm thinking that God is the only one that satisfies. I think of that during the day. I think of it during the night when I can't sleep. I'm thinking of that constantly because you are my help. He says, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you. Your right hand upholds me. See, I, I, in, in the context of my fear and anxiety and stress, David says, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm tempted to think that I'm alone, but I'm not alone. We're never alone. God, you are my safety, you are my comfort, you are my help, you are my peace. You see, I think it's really interesting that that in these verses, that what David doesn't do, because this is exactly what I would do if I were in his shoes, what David doesn't do is cry out to God and say, God, fix this. God, get me out of here. God, do something about this. Now, that's not a bad prayer, just for the record. In fact, he does that in other places, But that's not what he does here. What he he does here in this dry and parched land is he reminds himself that the water that he really needs is only found in God. That the only thing that will quench his thirsty soul is God. See, David's in this dry and parched land and he's realizing that he is utterly restless. He's utterly unsatisfied. He's thirsty apart from God. And here's the thing. Jesus says that you and I are two. Whether we know it or not, Jesus says that, that, that you and I are too. We're thirsty apart from him. Gospel of John, John chapter four, biography of Jesus. John tells us of a story. Jesus has an interaction, a, a conversation with a woman during the middle of the day at a well. A familiar story, but if not, we'll read it. Here's what it says. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. 
The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman says, you've got nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself? And Jesus answered and said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. It's just a mirage. It's just a delusion. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Whoever drinks the water I give them, Jesus says, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, what Jesus is saying to her and what Jesus is saying to us this morning is that whether we know it or not, what we're really seeking, what we're really thirsting for, what we're longing for most is him. It's him. That that chasing mirages, it's just going to make us thirstier. Chasing delusions, it's just going to make us thirstier. Only Jesus can quench our thirst to be known. Only Jesus can quench our thirst for meaning and purpose. Only Jesus can quench our thirst to thrive and flourish in this world. That's why Jesus says just a couple of chapters later in John chapter seven, it's on the, it, it, there's a festival going on. It's the last and greatest day of the festival. And Jesus stands up in front of the people and he says in a loud voice, he says, let anyone who's thirsty, which by the way is who? Everyone, Right? We're all thirsty. They're thirsty, we're thirsty, we're no different, they're no different. 2,000 years ago, Jesus stands up in front of a crowd. Today, Jesus is saying to us, let anyone who's thirsty, what? What's he say? Let anyone who's thirsty, try harder. Let anyone who's thirsty, clean your life up. Let anyone who's thirsty, be more impressive. Let, Let anyone who's thirsty, do something, be something. No, he says this, he says, let anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. See, what Jesus is saying is that he is the living water that you're looking for. He is the well that never runs dry. You see, the more that we think that life is about just being true to ourselves, the more that we think that that life is just about doing whatever we want, whenever we want, for however long we want, the more anxious and depressed and disconnected and lonely and burnt out we're going to be because it's all a mirage. You might think that it's making you happy. You might think that it's satisfying you, but it doesn't. You get it for a bit, and then it goes away, and you gotta get it again. And then it goes away, and you, it's like a hamster on a hamster wheel, right? See, what Jesus is saying to us this morning, he's saying, stop believing lies. Lies just amplify our fear, amplify, amplify our disconnect. And he's saying, stop believing the lies. Stop chasing mirages, Come to me. Jesus says, come to me. Jesus is your help. Jesus is the one that upholds you. Jesus is your strength. Jesus is the one that satisfies. It's Jesus' love. It's only Jesus' love that is better than any life that you can construct for yourself. You see, what Jesus wants us to realize this morning, maybe for the first time, or maybe it's just a much-needed reminder That what we really want, what we're really looking for, in spite of all the lies, in spite of all the delusions, in spite of all the cultural anthems, what we're really looking for, what we really want, what we really need. It's not a new idea, but what we really need is him. What we really need is Jesus. And here's the best thing, Jesus, that's exactly what he's offering when he says to us, 
come to me and drink. Come to me and drink. Whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. I mean, don't you want that? See, what this psalm does for us is it reminds us that Jesus is sustenance in a dry and parched land. Jesus is strength in a dry and parched land. Jesus is nourishment in a dry and parched land. Jesus is the living water for a thirsty culture. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna close this morning and I wanna do something a little different. I just wanna sit and take some time to reflect and pray. I wanna go back through this psalm and I'll, I'll put a few verses up here at a time and I'll pause and just give you a couple moments to just let these words rattle around in your head and maybe pray. And I'll wrap us up here in a second. Let's pray. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you, I thirst for you, my whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. Because your love is better than life, my lips lips will glorify you. I'll praise you as long as I live, and in your name, I will lift up my hands. I will be fully satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I will remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. Because you are my help, God, I sing in the shadow of your wings. I cling to you, and your right hand upholds me. Jesus, it's you. It's you that we want. It's you that we need. It's you that we're searching for. It's you that we thirst for. It's you that we long for. Whether we know it or not, it's you that we need, Jesus. Forgive us for chasing mirages. Forgive us for chasing delusions. Forgive us for, for looking for what we can only find in you in every other place. Forgive us and help us to want you to live for you, to realize that what we really need is you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.